0: Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense.
1: Well, hello there and welcome to Frankie Sense and More. I am here with my co-host Frederick Bye.
2: Hello, to ho. Go-
1: <laughs> we are gonna bring you a great show. We do have a good show for you today. Our guests are Dr. Beth Darnell. She is a clinical associate professor in the Division of Pain Medicine at Stanford University. She's gonna be coming up shortly, and Jacob Kramer, he's a high school student from Cleveland who founded a nonprofit. Now at first blush, you might think that these two guests have nothing in common, but I think they have a whole lot in common. But first here's Fred with our positive global goals moment
3: yes I mean today we have an interesting story and it's all about the global goal number four which is quality education what's more important than quality education and this guy does something that I love 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 because I love to read and this barbershop gives money back to kids who read aloud during their haircut that's right uh, the barbershop is called the Fuller Cut Barbershop in Michigan, and he gives discounts to kids and uh, who read the books aloud to the barbers while they're getting their hair cut. And uh, oftentimes, the kids end up with a $2 discount, and it's pretty cool. And, you know, he says that they get compliments from teachers all the time and that his community has really, really embraced the idea. And also, I, I think it said something really, really cool, and I will— quote him here he said he says when when little kids that don't really don't really know how to read or what's going on see an older kid in the chair with a book and then grab a book too that's what's important because when a kid thinks it's cool to read that's a gift and that is true i learned i personally learned so much from reading and um also, he ends up – he ends the, the interview saying, if we can get kids to come back to the Fuller Cut as adults in college, and they tell us, because of you guys had us read here, it made me want to be a writer or journalist. That's really the end goal. That's and, so cool. Yeah. So that's fabulous. I love to read. I believe in reading. It, Reading changes the world, changes ourselves. Anyway.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think girls and boys read different things. I mean, I, I had sons and daughters and, you know, my boys like science books. They like, you know, real stuff. They like to read about nature. And, and girls, you know, they like to read fiction and, and different kinds of things. So I think we like to read different things. But, you know, definitely <laughs> it's a great, great uh, community effort to, to help children read. And I think that's, that's terrific. Yeah. Kudos yeah. To, to the barbershop there.
3: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's introduce uh, Dr. Beth. Now, she is a pain psychologist and scientist. Dr. Beth Darnell is her name. She's also the author of the Opioid-Free Pain Relief Kit and Less Pain, Fewer Pills Avoid the Dangers of Prescription Opioids and Gain Control Over Chronic Pain. She's a past president of the Pain Society of Oregon and is a current co-chair of the Pain Psychology Task Force at the American Academy of Pain Medicine. Her NIH-funded research investigates mechanisms of pain Catastrophizing and the effectiveness of a single session pain catastrophizing treatment that she has developed. Wow. Please welcome Dr. Beth. We're, we're going to call you Beth if that's okay. I <laughs>
2: am, oh, yes, absolutely. And Frankie and Fred, thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, awesome. it's, a, it's our pleasure. Yep. Um, you know, in your book, you seem to advocate for pain patients not to use opiates. Uh, can you explain your position on this?
2: Yeah. So, so here is. It, nuanced than that. My position is that everybody should have access to the right information so that Mm -hmm. they can best control their own experience, reduce their own distress and their own pain. And by doing so, they will need less medication. So, So despite the titles of my book I'm actually not anti-opioid But I do think And and almost everyone agrees That it's in everyone's best interest To take fewer medications, and I am highly invested in providing a pathway for people to be able to do that so that even if they take opioids going forward, they'll be able to make informed choices because they understand the risks and the benefits, and they're able to use different strategies that help them need and use as little of the medication as possible, and then that helps reduce the risks and their side effects and it allows them to have more control over what's happening in their lives.
1: I can agree with that.
2: <laughs> you know,
1: I, 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 I don't think I've ever said this on air before. I have been on, have been on opioids for 15 years after a motorcycle crash, mm. and I got down from, like, enormous amounts to as little as I possibly Think I can, and and even to the point where I said to my doctor, I I'm ready to go off, and you know, and she looked at me and she said, Are you crazy? Like you you won't even be able to walk around. Now, you know, I don't really talk about my pain that often, but, mm-hmm. I mean, it's always, it's always there. I'm also a hypnotherapist, so I do understand how to, you know, hypnotize for pain, how to use, yeah. you know, hypnosis as, as a means for pain. The one thing I will say that I, I think was missing in your book, and, and maybe it was just an oversight, but I found personally um, when I was in the hospital even because I was there for six months, um, massage. Massage lowered my pain medication by like double, like wow.
3: really yeah. lowered it. Wow.
2: Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, I'll tell you, there are numerous strategies that people can use to help reduce their pain. In my books, I focus pretty specifically on the psychological pathways right. um, versus, uh, you know, acupuncture or massage or, or many other techniques. That's not to minimize the, the fact that this can be incredibly helpful, but I, I tend to stick to my, to my area of expertise in my books. So in the brain, the,
1: you know, it's interesting. Um, and, and I, I want to talk about this for a moment, if it's okay with you, because I want to talk about the difference. I, I, and I believe there's a difference between dependency and addiction. And absolutely, you know, people who take these, these drugs are, are dependent upon them, physically dependent. Um, and yet not everybody has an addict mentality. Like, I've yeah. never taken an extra pill. As a matter of fact, she gave me pills, and I go, I never even took them. So I know that I don't have an addictive personality. Uh, I know that some people do. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think? I mean, originally my pain doctor said to me, you know, Frankie, think of it like, because um, my family was so against it. But, you know, he said, think of it like you're, you know, you're a diabetic and you need insulin. Like, why, why
2: should this be different for you? Yeah yeah absolutely so you're right there's a there's a huge difference between addiction and physiological dependence and if anyone takes opioids long-term, regularly long-term, you'll become physiologically dependent. That's true for you, that's true for me, that's true for anybody. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's fundamentally different from a psychological and physiological phenomenon of addiction. And so, uh, unfortunately, these concepts kind of get confused in the media and also among patients who really worry that they may be addicted. And so I spend a lot of time providing education. The majority of people are are not addicted, but absolutely they're physiologically dependent. And so when they try and go down on the medication or if they miss a dose of opioids, they'll have some withdrawal symptoms. Mm -hmm. And that scares people because they're uncomfortable, they cause more pain, and they falsely lead people to believe that they absolutely need the medication and can't go down or off of it. And one of my main messages is that just because a person is physiologically dependent doesn't mean that they can't very slowly, successfully wean down on the medication, just like you did. Uh, a lot I think of people good job at that. end up tapering off of opioids very slowly. They prevent and avoid withdrawals. And curiously, interestingly, they discover that they often have less pain as they go down and off of these medications. That's such a critical message to get out to people. I found that very interesting. Yeah, go ahead,
4: Uh, Fred.
3: Yeah, in the beginning, you said that people need access to the right information, and that way they'll be able to take less meds. Um, Where, because we're bombarded by information, A, where can they get it? Yeah. How can they get the right uh, yeah, information? Where can a they get great it? question. And, and, it and also,
2: the entire uh, reason I wrote my first book, which is called uh, Less Pain, Fewer Pills, because I was working with patients day in and day out, chron- people with chronic pain, who were taking opioid medication, and they would look at me, many of them upset, and they would say, if I had known uh, about the problems, Associated with these medications, I never would have started them. And they were talking about some of the negative side effects you know, that they were very sleepy, that they had extreme constipation, that they felt stigmatized, that it was impacting their ability to do certain things rather than make it easier for them to do certain things, that they were having um, some depression or anxiety, that their hormones had changed. And what I realized was that there really wasn't a central place for people to discover all of the risks and consequences of opioid medication and so that's why I wrote the book and the whole first half of the book is just opioid education I, I always say I'm really not invested in whether or not people take opioid medication but I'm highly invested in people making informed choices, being in control of their choices and helping them with alternative pathways so that they can minimize their risks. I feel that that's absolutely critical.
1: I agree. And I think you did a really good job of that. I think, you know, learning to breathe through pain and learning to uh, relax and, and you know, because I, I know, like, You know, when you're in pain, you tend to tense up in your shoulders and your neck, and it affects, you know, every area of your body, really. Uh, And so when you can relax that, then it eases a, a lot of symptoms. Uh, for sure.
2: Yeah, you know it's true, and, and it even goes one step beyond that. You know, our our brains and our, our spinal cord, our nervous system is really primed to react to pain because you know it. It's, pain is a signal that has helped us survive, and so it really gets our attention. And I'm going to have nice to cut you to off as we're going to but commercial, but I, I want to talk chronic about chronic pain. The amount of attention we give the pain can serve to amplify the pain. So we've done a lot of neuroimaging studies. There's a lot of Dr. research have this topic. I We're going, and going and to commercial. we When people uh, going for a really commercial. focus yeah. on the pain have a hard time <laughs> calming Warned the Frankie system.
0: Frankie Sensen Moore will be right back after we pay the bills. It's merging.
5: If you have a lot of spiserinctum or the will to win, and you have a strong desire to be a part of your favorite sports team, the National Hockey League might be for you. Did you know that if both goalies on an NHL hockey team are injured, anyone at the game is eligible to step in and play the part? Teams have resorted to using their coaches, team owners, and even their web designers to fill in for injured goalies. It's as simple as slipping into your breezers or hockey pants. The original hockey puck was made out of frozen cow dung. The fastest puck shot on record was clocked at 114 miles per hour. And I'd like to take this opportunity to send out a special thanks to the men and women of our armed forces serving our country around the world.
4: It's Marching
5: Day the world. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words
6: you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
6: Nuts are an overall good choice for snacking. Almonds are my favorite nut, and I try to include them in my daily eating. Almonds have more calcium than any other nut. They are low in carbs, but high in fiber and protein. Studies show that eating almonds and other nuts will give you a feeling of fullness longer and help you eat fewer calories throughout the day. 12 almonds are under 100 calories and very satisfying. Peanuts are another good choice. Health Magazine says that like most other nuts, peanuts are also full of brain-boosting healthy fats and vitamin E as well. One ounce of peanuts, about 28 unshelled nuts, contains about 170 calories, 7 grams of protein, and 14 grams of fat. Eating nuts helps your brain power and reduces inflammation. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook. Okay, and we're
1: back with Dr. Beth Darnell. We were just speaking with her, and Jacob Kramer's coming up in a moment, and of course Frederick Bai is here. So we were just before we went off to our commercial break. We were talking. I I believe we were talking about the the psychology of pain, and and. you know how how those pathways and and does, is are you recollecting anything here? <laughs> we were trying to interrupt you. I forget now. Um, Fred, yeah, do you remember her last Frankie. words? I, okay. You know one thing that
2: is interesting to people is the fact that how we focus our brains uh, our attention and and, and how we're really attuning our brains can either make pain better or worse Mm -hmm. and so that's why it's so important that people learn the right skills to be able to control what's happening in the mind to be able to calm the nervous system because it actually can directly reduce pain processing in the nervous system and when we are able to reduce our own pain, we reduce our need and use of medication, Mm -hmm. and that's a really lovely thing for people to be able to learn and apply in their daily life. So uh, just to to
1: make sure and clarify for everybody who's listening, people who have read your book or thought about reading your book, you are not opposed to taking medication. You're just saying that there's other methodologies that you can use in conjunction to lower your need for, for taking pills
2: and things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's in everyone's best interest to, to need and use as little medication as possible. I, I know that you know people don't want to take pain medication, no. but they just want less pain, naturally, right. of course. And so what we know from the research is that pain is not best treated by pill alone. It's best treated with a multimodal approach. And I'm really passionate about helping empower people to learn skills and information. So that they can best control their own experience. Pain medication may still be one part of the equation, but it's just one part. It's not the whole story.
1: Like, I know that you mentioned in your book about doctors that, that they're not, you know, they get like about an hour on pain, you know, when they're going through school. And, but the other side of that is that it's so difficult for them to hand out opiates and things like that now or any kind of, um, uh, you know, narcotics that they, that they just don't do it you know they just don't do it and and so they're like no I don't even want to start that the
2: CDC issued guidelines on prescribing opioids for chronic pain and while there's no laws against it there's a strong recommendation that they be minimized for chronic pain because the data uh, research studies uh, results from research studies suggest that they simply don't do a very good job long term and there are a lot of risks associated with them now you know, these are big studies that include, you know, hundreds and thousands of patients. I know, On an, you know, I've worked with people for 10 years, and, and I have seen people who really need the medication and, and do well on it but they take it mindfully and again it's one mm-hmm. part of, of their plan but to simply write a prescription and send people away and that's the only strategy we know that yeah. doesn't work well um, but you're right now there's more pressure to not prescribe at all and that makes it that much more important that patients learn everything they can to best help themselves
3: it seems to me now, now as a guy looking from the outside in it, that the western uh, med you know medicine is still shy cuz you talk about mindfulness and meditation and you know they're still shy of those of the eastern type. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. still yeah, I, yeah, it, it, it seems gives, it seems that they, they want you want um, to give what it it's been coming forward in, in recent months is it the best
2: evidence is is showing that uh, mindfulness based stress reduction and cognitive behavioral therapy are effective for reducing pain intensity in people with chronic pain I mean it's just it's really becoming clear these are high quality studies that are being published in top medical journals JAMA uh, pain medicine etc and so more and more of the evidence is is coming forward to help enlighten the medical profession and the public.
3: Right, right. Um, let, let, let's dive a little bit deeper into mindfulness to help with. No, Fred, pain. we're
1: going to bring we're going to bring Jacob okay. on.
3: Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, we're going to bring
1: Jacob on. Sorry. We'll come back to that. So let, let me introduce you to Jacob. Java Kramer is a 16-year-old high school junior from Pepper Pike, Cleveland, who calls himself an ordinary teen. He likes writing, traveling, baking, playing in his high school's marching band, and running cross-country. But he, I think he that he's anything but ordinary. He's extraordinary. He runs and operates a global nonprofit organization he calls Love for the Elderly, which Today has impacted over fifteen thousand seniors. Let's welcome Jacob and find out how he started this great organization. Hi, Jacob. Welcome. Hi. Hi.
4: Thank you so much for having me. You're off school
1: awesome. today. Yeah, I am. Great. Awesome. So mm-hmm. you started, um, uh, you know, the, your nonprofit. How, how did it begin? Tell us. Tell us your story.
4: So initially, um, when my grandfather passed away in August of 2010, I was inspired by his death to do something in his honor that would make a difference. Mm -hmm. So I started volunteering at my local nursing home, Montefiore, and it was there that I really realized that so many seniors are lonely and isolated. And it was, it was really heartbreaking for me because I consider myself kind of sheltered. And I'd never experienced that sort of the isolation and loneliness and depression that I saw in this nursing home. So I began conceptualizing ways that I could make a difference in the lives of the elderly. So I sat down in my living room one night and started just writing letters of kindness. And from there, Love for the Elderly was born.
3: Wow. You um in your in one of your TED talks, uh I love it. I watch. He it the- he's
1: sixteen, he does a TED Talk. I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry? I said sixteen years old and he does TED Talk.
3: Yeah. And <laughs> y- you talk about the sunflower analogy. You gotta that was tell great. us that. Talk to uh, us about yeah, it. Yeah,
4: <laughs> so um sunflowers uh I think they're a great analogy for so many things in life, but um specifically how they bloom and blossom. Um they're they're really Beautiful and just like a sunflower, when you tend to um, an elderly person or any person really, they are really able to shine and let their true inner self shine as well. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: you you started letters of love where you have gotten other teens and and young people from I think South America to write letters to American. Uh, elderly to uh, seniors, so that they can, you know, practice their English, and these and these folks get get nice letters. You started Senior Buddies this year, I think, and Sunshine Box.
4: So you've got three programs going. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your programs. Yeah, sure. So Letters of Love, um, that was my initial program. when I talked about writing letters to my local nursing home. Since mm-hmm. then, it's expanded, and I've received 15,000 letters from 51 countries and six continents. Wow. And these are just letters of kindness and love that I send out to nursing homes across the globe, and they're just intended to put a smile on the elderly recipient's face. So these yes. are handwritten letters. Yeah, they're all handwritten because I'm trying to to bring back the art of handwritten letter writing.
3: Nice. Hey Amen. Wow, that's that's nice. That's nice. Sweet.
4: And so, Senior Buddies now. What, what's that, that program? Senior Buddies, I started it this year in February, and basically I um, paired with a, um, a school in Sao Paulo, Brazil. It's a really poor school, and these students are just learning English, and they are pen pals with some seniors in Portland, Maine, and they've been writing for months. They got the chance to Skype. And it's been really amazing. They were featured in a um, national Brazilian TV show, which was really incredible because it was great publicity. And, um, yeah, so it's been really great to watch their relationships mm. blossom. That's awesome. And now the your sunshine
1: tough,
2: box. Can I, can I just say one yeah. thing, Frankie and Fred? Yeah, please. Sure. Go ahead. Well, first of all, Jacob, what you're doing is amazing. And and I also want to say this is so relevant pain first of all people have more pain and one of the things that we know is that social isolation amplifies uh, pain intensity and and just also distress about pain And, and what I love about what you're doing is that you're connecting people in this beautiful way and that can be powerful medicine for them socially but also to help alleviate suffering so I just want to say thank you for all that you're doing
4: Oh, thank you so much for your kind words. I appreciate that. One point, I told you that there was
3: a connection. <laughs> one, one topic I think that you're so right on point because my family is from Africa and my step family is from the Caribbean. And I'm, I see the elderly over there compared to the elderly here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's almost like here we lock them in the nursing home somewhere and we kind of leave them there. But when when they're over there, you know, in Africa or the Caribbeans, man, the, the elderly people they're the voice of wisdom. <laughs> I mean, they're the when grandma speaks, you listen. <laughs> you yeah, totally. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that because I know you talked to us about you talked about it on your TED talks. Hello. About how we how how we treat our elderly. Yeah, yes. the elderly in America versus the versus elderly, versus in, other elderly in other countries. Countries. Yeah. Yeah. So
4: other countries, the elders are really regarded as like with the utmost respect and they're really um, looked up to. And then sadly here in America and some other um, civilized nations, it's not that's not the case, which is it's really sad and heartbreaking to me because it's just the way that our society runs and functions. And something needs to be done to change that. So that's what all of my programs and initiatives try to combat, To to bridge that gap of isolation and really make sure that the youngest and oldest populations are still connected. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know that you want to make sure we talk about sunshine box. Let's talk about that just before
1: we go to our next commercial break. And then when we come back, we can talk about how these things are all funded.
4: All right. Sure. So sunshine box is, um, it actually launched recently September 24th and basically I create these boxes of sunshine and they're filled with little goodies. Like, um, some yellow neon sunglasses to make sure that you're never too old to be a little bit silly and a neon yellow stress ball with a smiley face on it, um, to squish on hard days. And I distributed those to one of my local nursing homes, McGregor, and it got a hugely positive response. Lots of seniors were crying and they hugged me Aww. and it was just really um, sweet and very well received. So I'm looking forward to expanding that program. So um, everything in your sunshine box is yellow? Yeah, everything is yellow. It's all vibrant and fun. Um, and yeah. Cool. That's fun. That
1: is yeah, fun. And, and, and awesome. you know, I, I, do you find that the, that the seniors kind of revert to being children when they get things like that?
4: <laughs> no, actually, yes. Um, yeah. There was like a little yellow lei in the sunshine box and they all put it on their ne- necks and they put the sunglasses on. They took some selfies with me. So it was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, Jacob, that's amazing. Well, when
1: we come back, we're going to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about how how you might fund something like that, how you're raising some money to to do any in all of your programs, and then we're going to talk, you know, between you and Dr. Beth about um, you know this relationship because I did want to talk about the relationship of seniors and pain and the emotional aspect of you know the things that you're doing so don't go anywhere we're coming right back this is frankie sense and more i am your host frankie picasso my co-host is frederick by and we will be back oh, in just a second just
0: getting warmed up frankie sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills
5: have you ever found yourself in an airplane seated next to a nonstop talker that you really don't have anything at all in common with when I fly, I usually want to catch up on my reading and not have to listen to an explaterator. It's even worse if they're a philodox. That's a person who just loves their own opinion. Well, now a Facebook app lets you choose your own seatmate before you fly. According to an article in USA Today, social media startups are bringing together compatible flyers before they take their seats. That's good news for people lovers, otherwise known as philodemics. A number of apps such as Plainly and Satisfy, are helping travelers meet not only online, but in person. Think the Match.com of travel. I love flying and have been to almost as many places as my luggage. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my
6: free app, Too
0: Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
6: Many men and women drink diet sodas almost on a daily basis because they have zero calories and are thought to be harmless. But the truth is, they are not harmless. The University of Texas found that people who consume just three diet sodas per week were more than 40% more likely to be obese. The artificial sweeteners that are in diet sodas lead to -to hard-to-control food urges later in the day. Another study by Purdue found that rats who were fed artificial sweeteners prior to mealtime took in more calories. Every once in a while, drinking a diet soda is fine. But if you're having them on a regular and even daily basis, it's time to switch to water or green tea. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at annettehammond.com.
1: Hey, and we're back. It's Frankie Sanzamore, and I'm Frankie Picasso, and we're just speaking to Jacob Kramer. He's our 16-year-old high school junior from Pepper Pike, Cleveland, who is the founder of a global nonprofit organization. How cool is that? So we were just talking about Sunshine Box, and you were putting this box of, you know, fun, yellow, uh, funny things together for your seniors, but, you know, that can get expensive uh, one person at a time. So yep. how, how are you going
4: to fund that, Jacob? Uh, so I do lots of different funding initiatives. Uh, most recently, I launched a fundraising campaign with a philanthropic company called Sea Beautiful, mm-hmm. and um, basically, for every purchase that someone made on their website, they would donate five dollars to my organization. So I ended up raising fifteen hundred dollars for Love for the Elderly. Nice. Uh, that's all going towards my Sunshine Boxes, and I also have sponsors and also individual donations. So all of that, all that amazing funds, they can be used towards my initiatives.
1: Now nice. I want to ask you something about young people because, you know, I notice that people, especially in North America, uh, we tend to look at old people, <laughs> like myself, tend to look at old people and and go, they're just old, like they're slow, they're old. You know, I don't, they have nothing to say. I, they don't, they're not relevant. I don't want to talk to them. How do you engage your young people into wanting to talk and
4: wanting to write letters? So that's something that's always really irritated me, how, how the elderly are so often viewed as just, just slow and old and, um, irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And especially because of the technological barrier, how they're not using Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter, that is a huge reason why there's this disconnect. So, I really try to emphasize the fact that our elders have so much that we can all learn from. And that's something that I found, especially with the Senior Buddy Program, is it really resonates with the kids because they, they're able to connect and they're able to build those relationships that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And there's just there's so much that we can learn from our elders. And I think it's really important for our youth to gain valuable lessons from them.
3: What did you learn? What did you, from your experience so far, what did you learn that really touched you about the L.O.E.?
4: Uh, if it's okay, I'd love to share like a personal story. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Um, so I used to volunteer at my local nursing home all the time. I'd go in every Saturday. I think I talked about this in my TED Talk, actually. And um, there was this woman named Cynthia, and I would always love visiting her room. I'd walk in there every Saturday afternoon, and I'd um, just be greeted with this wonderful smile and we'd talk about politics, we'd discuss finances, we'd talk about pretty much everything. And I got to know her really well, she got to know me, and it was it was a beautiful relationship. I was really touched by the the mark that she left on me. And sadly she passed away, which once again it devastated me just like my grandfather's mm-hmm. past. But I think those kind of experiences, they motivate they motivate you to continue mm-hmm impact and making a difference in the world
1: how how many of your friends um jacob how many of your friends have grandparents and and you know have a relationship you know maybe they're divorced parents and they don't have to spend the time with grandparents or they've never had grandparents grandparents you know
4: passed before they were born like do you find that a lot of your friends don't have a relationship with a grandparent i actually think that at least in my community i'm not sure if this relates to the rest of like america but um, for me in Cleveland, a lot of my friends, yeah, they are, they are in touch with their grandparents, but a lot of them may live in other States or mm-hmm. just are in general. So they and see it like once a year, kind of a grandparent it's really hard, especially because of technology. Um, a lot of seniors don't use like FaceTime and texting and that makes it all the more difficult. Right. But what if you were to teach
1: them? I mean, my dad's like 94 years old this year and he's got, um, He's got iPads, he's got iPhones, he's hooked up to the Yazoo with technology, and he finds it very easy, and he loves it. Like, he Skypes with me all the time. So what if you were to teach seniors how to use technology so that they they could, you know, relate more to their grandchildren or to younger people?
4: Definitely. So that's something that I've been considering for a while now, and I'm thinking of hopefully – Pursuing that in the future and bringing technology to nursing homes and seniors because I know it's a great way to prevent isolation from happening and keeping Mm -hmm. them in touch with their loved ones. So, yeah, I'd love to do something with that um, sometime soon.
1: Uh, Beth, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I know in your book you talked about the medication, and as you get older, medication affects people differently. So when Jacob and his friends are in the nursing home, and and maybe, you know, somebody's on medication, um, maybe one day they act one way, another day they act a different way. Like, is there there cause for, you know, some kind of, uh, they should be thinking about, do you think, or...
2: Yeah. So older people, particularly in nursing homes, because you know they have more medical problems than somebody who's independent. They tend to be on a lot of different medications, and so it's it's kind of it's what we call polypharmacy, which means that there there's risks for those medications interacting, and um, people maybe not having as sharp a mind because of the medications they're on. Um, Pain medication, opioid medication. Is also can create a fall risk for a lot of elders. They're less steady on their feet. Um, they may have worse balance as a consequence of the medications. And so, these are just things for for people to be mindful of. And it's always it's always in everyone's best interest, you know, to to use as, as little of the medication as possible and um, to focus on managing pain in, in different ways. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I love what Jacob is doing because he's, uh, you know, what we know about pain is that it, it's not just a physical experience. It, it affects so many different areas of our life. We talk about it being a biopsychosocial phenomenon. And his work is really targeting some of these social impacts, mm-hmm, these right. uh, social areas, social connection, which can serve to actually reduce pain, isolation, suffering. Um, it's, it's great medicine for elders.
3: Right. Let me ask you this, uh, uh, Beth. Um, you've been treating adults with chronic, chronic pain for 15 years, mm-hmm. and uh, you live through your own chronic pain experience. Talk to us a little bit about it
2: yeah indeed, you know I had chronic pain when I was younger, really about jacob 's age and and even younger and what happened to me is is not uncommon, and it is that I had chronic pain, and I went through a very stressful experience in in my life where at the age of nineteen, the person I was closest to was killed um, and so naturally, this was incredibly stressful, distressing uh and my pain worsened. It, it really um, was out of control, and I, I simply didn't know what to do or how to control it. Like most people with pain, I just mm-hmm. didn't have the right information. So I sought help at the hospital, and nobody, you know, they ran tests, and they did what doctors are supposed to do, but they really couldn't find any answers. Uh, and they sent me home with a prescription for opioids. And, you know, on the surface, they were doing their job because they're treating pain theoretically, but actually uh, what I had was pain that was being greatly exacerbated by some of these psychological and social factors in my life. It was grief. It was stress. And so my story serves as an illustration of how, yes, we have chronic pain, but it's everything else in our lives feeds into the pain experience and can be worsening it without us even knowing it. So we want to be sure that we're treating our whole life and all of these factors. I got myself off of the opioids. I had to learn how to manage my pain differently and I had to do that the hard way because I didn't have anyone to help me. There were no pain psychologists helping me mm-hmm. but the information that I figured out that I learned um, is now known to be evidence-based medicine and it's the information I about
1: in my books. You know that's interesting. That that Jacob, have you ever had extreme pain of any kind? Have you ever broken a bone or anything? No, not really. No, no, you're lucky. <laughs> you're lucky. But you know, I, the the thing I, I was you know thinking about when you when you were talking about that is is the band aid, right? They're they're covering the pain, but they're not finding the cause of the pain. Yeah. Right, so right. It's, it's like they Absolutely. never seem to get and, curious enough you know, to and, do that. And
2: often, it's it's not necessarily possible for us to find a root cause or to eliminate mm-hmm. pain. But what's so important for all all people to understand is that. The choices that we make, the thoughts that we have, the emotions that we have, our level of physical activity, our social experiences, our entire lives, everything has the capacity to either make our pain better or to make our pain worse. And so simply focusing on pills misses this massive opportunity for us to manage our pain differently and for us to actually gain better control of our own
3: an experience you provide psychological services to patients with catastrophic burn spinal cord injury or amputation what are those, what are those services what do, how do you help somebody i'm
2: sorry can you say that one more
3: time fred no you, you, you provide psychological services to patients with catastrophic burns, spinal cord injuries and amputations, stuff like that. I
2: got it. Yeah. So so actually we treat pain the same no matter what is the cause of the pain. In in the past I I worked really with very severe medical conditions. So spinal cord injury, people who uh, had the catastrophic burn and were uh, being treated on a burn unit, people who had amputations, um, major surgeries. Today I work mostly with people in an outpatient setting who have chronic pain, but also with women who have breast cancer and are going into surgery. And, and and what we know is that some of the biggest predictors for whether our pain gets better or how much pain we have after surgery or how quickly we recover from surgery, it, it tends to be the psychological factors, the power of our mind is incredible. We, as humans, we tend to think of pain as being sort of a passive process, something that happens to us, or when we go to surgery, that it's just something the doctor does to us, that the surgeon does to us, but the research tells us that it's what we bring to the table. It's, it's what's going on in our nervous system that has a profound influence on our response to all types of treatments, whether it's opioid treatment, whether it's surgical treatment any type of treatment and so we want to be sure that we're optimizing our psychology so that we can have a best response to these treatments so one of the ways that we optimize psychology is to be able to take a look at what some of our beliefs are what some of Mm -hmm. our fears about pain are um fears in general and to be able Put a container around those to have to learn how to calm those thoughts and to calm our body when it goes into a state of distress. So these are mind body skills that uh, we use regularly on a daily basis. And that changes pain processing. It aw- we're going to go to a commercial break. system and actually have we're going to we're
1: gonna go to a commercial to break wire the brain. <laughs> okay, a, we're going to commercial. We we'll, to we'll be right
0: back. You're learning to train Yo, your brain. we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more. We'll be right back after we pay the bills. It's the
6: Fitness Minute
0: with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
6: To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, Then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com.
0: This is the Net Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's words you
5: never heard. By the time this show is over, you'll blink at least 30 times. The average person normally blinks about 20 times per minute or 17,000 times a day. A faster rate usually indicates anxiety or emotional stress. What's the word for someone who blinks a lot? A squint of Figo. FBI agents have identified a specific type of blink that they directly associate with gamma stain. That's a person who tends toward deception and fraud. Attorneys, also known as pedophoggers, look for blinking when they have people on the stand. The eyelash flutter means they really do not like the question at all. Women blink more than men but when a man blinks at a woman he always appreciates a wink back. What's another word for flirty? coup. Cool. It's words words. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app too funny for words.
1: And you're still with us. Thank you for sticking around. We are. <laughs> it's Frankie Benson more, of the Variety Show with Frederick Bye, your host, Frankie Picasso. Yes. And today we have Dr. Beth Darnell and Jacob Kramer with us. And we were we were just heading out. With uh, Dr. Beth was telling us about the psychology and about how you think positive and 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 the way that you think going into a painful situation uh, is really how you're going to result coming out of that painful situation as well. But I know Fred wanted to talk to Jacob about his grandpa.
3: Yeah, Jacob. Um... You know, your grandfather has been such a—it's pivotal, pivotal point in your life when he died. Um, Talk to us: why was he so close to you? I mean, why did it touch you so much? I understand your grandfather, but you know, what was the best quality you saw in him, and how did he live his elderly years until he died?
4: First of all, um, my grandfather and I—we were—we were were so close, um, and I would visit him. Um, as often as I could, we'd go like, to weekly walks at the um, park or the mall. Um, we would go on family vacations together. We went to like Alaska and Hawaii, which was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and through all those experiences, I got really close with him. And I really got to know his sense of humor, his altruism, compassion, integrity, and most importantly, his unconditional love. It all just radiated throughout him and to the to those that um, he was near. So that's something that's always inspired me. And it's something that really made me want to make a difference in his honor when he passed away because he taught me so many life lessons and skills and values that are still so dear to me today and that I try to uphold every day throughout my days. Um, so, so yeah, you're really- such
1: an old soul. <laughs> you're such an old soul. I want to know though, Jacob. Uh, you you wrote and said that you know you've got kind of a quirky family.
4: Yeah. Um. So my family, we're just very different. So uh-huh. my brother, like very artistic, and so am I. Um. I love like writing, and um. My brother is very athletic. He runs cross country. He's very diligent about it. Um. And he's more of a procrastinator than I am. I'm very, like, let's get to it kind of attitude. And then my dad, we're, we're, just, we're all very different. Um, <laughs> so, so it's an interesting uh, Kramer household. Um, but let me give ask us, you this. Let, let him give his website first, Fred. Give yeah, us your yeah. website. Uh, so Love for the Elderly's website is lovefortheelderly.org. Um, and then also you can connect with me on social media as well, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. And if people want to volunteer, they can. Uh, Yes. So you can visit my website and you can become involved with any of my programs, or if you want to get even more involved, you can become a kindness ambassador, which means you can do stuff like going into schools and doing letter writing events for letters of love. You can organize a senior buddies group. It's really up to you. So yeah, I love it. If um, your listeners can get more involved, do you have a, do you have a sample of a letter that somebody would write? Like what would somebody write? Basically the letters are all, they're really just kind hearted words filled with love. So um, they'll tell them – they'll make sure that they're um, – they'll they they'll maybe include a joke or a riddle. They'll tell them about themselves, their day, their family, and most importantly, they'll let them know that they are loved. So the letters are really special, and my favorite part about them is that they're all handwritten. So they're handwritten, and then are they just distri- – they're distributed, or do,
1: do, do the – like would would I have a name of somebody I'm writing to specifically, or would it be just
4: Dear Senior? No. The elderly recipients are all anonymous, so really you're just trying to make it um, oh, okay. without knowing who you're writing to. So, like, a simple dear friend or hello there will suffice. Okay. Right.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, Yeah, go ahead, Frank. And also, no, I was just going to ask the last part of, of the question I had was, did he die surrounded by his family or, you know what I mean? Or did he die the way you see a lot of elderly people die?
4: Thankfully, I'm so glad that uh, he had all of us there with him in his final moments, his final Uh, moments. So, um, yeah, and it kind of shows you just how valuable um, family and friendship can be. How old was he? Yeah. Um, He was, I believe he was in his 80s. Is your grandma still around? Yeah, she is. Uh, yesterday, I was just at her house. We had dinner together. Um, nice. Yeah, so she's still uh, around and lively and healthy and just doing phenomenally. <laughs> uh, I'm glad uh, for you. Beth.
1: So I gonna... Let's ask Beth her website first.
2: Yeah. Uh, my website is BethDarnell.com, and we have some nice redirects. So however you spell it, you'll get there. Uh, BethDarnell.com.
3: Oh, Beth, um you, you you mentioned uh, before the the break uh, you were talking about you know the importance of remaining remaining calm with our bodies. How do you do that? Because what you talk about what you talk about is really about mindfulness. You know, it's really about psychological, as you said as you said at the beginning at the beginning of the show. But how do you do this? How do you remain calm in your body in your body when you're so pain?
2: Yeah it it's a great question and so what we know across the board is that it's less about what happens to us it's more about our reactions to what happens to us that is so detrimental and this is a particular challenge with pain, pain that is ongoing because it's like it's a harm alarm and it's going off and it's going to get our attention and it's going to cause distress and that's going to show up in a lot of different ways, it's going to show up as psychological distress, it could be anxiety, it could be fear, Um, just general stress and also muscle tension throughout our body, our breathing patterns change. Um, We start to hold a lot of tension in our bodies. And Over time, these become established patterns of thinking, of feeling, and uh, established patterns in our body. And what we know is that these established patterns prime the nervous system to actually have more pain. So Mm -hmm. it's incredibly important that we start to disentangle them, that we start to train our brain and our body away from pain. The relaxation response, relaxation skills are an incredibly powerful pool because they're so simple and anybody, almost anybody can do this. So we begin with some diaphragmatic breathing, use this regularly. It actually calms heart rate, it calms respiratory rate, and it dampens pain processing in the nervous system. So that's a key skill that people can use to calm themselves when they're in pain or in distress. And then what psychologists do is they work with people individually to again take a closer look at some of the thoughts that people are having some of the thoughts and emotions and what those patterns are those patterns that may be unwittingly worsening pain and it's it's pretty formulaic we work to help people shift those patterns and turn them into more helpful patterns that are that really lead to us feeling better emotionally and physically and that's so critical Beth, what? who who handles pain
1: better? Men or women?
2: Ah, well, I'll tell you, Frankie, women have more pain. Um, Mm -hmm. We have, our pain is more frequent, it's more intense, and it lasts longer. Women are more likely to acquire chronic pain conditions. So women simply bear a heavier burden of pain. But the data tell us that women physically, physiologically, women have greater pain sensitivity than men do. So what that means is that pain is just a bigger challenge for women. And it's that much more important that women learn everything they can, that they become empowered to reduce their own pain so that they need less doctors and fewer pills. I have a question
3: for Jacob uh, while before we go off the air. Um, You know, let's say, you know, I'm Mr. You know, I'm just a little guy here, you know, in Montreal and I want to help the and I want to help the elderly. Uh, what can I do? What, what some of the ideas do you have that somebody can do without, not necessarily through the internet, but just what can they do to start helping the elderly right now?
4: So I really advocate for trying to help the elderly in any way possible. And it doesn't have to be through my organization. It can just be a simple way by going out to your neighbor's, uh, your elderly neighbor's lawn and mowing it for them or um, going over to your grandma's house and having a lunch with them. It's it can really be simple, and it doesn't have to take a lot to make their day and make them smile.
3: Right, right.
4: Okay. You like to cook. What do you like to cook? Um, well, actually, I love baking, and baking. I bake. Um, yeah, baking. So I bake cookies and cupcakes and uh, pretty much everything, and wow. that's a lot of fun. Um, my uh, my house always has lots of
3: sweets. So.
2: <laughs> that's-
3: <laughs> all the mothers who are listening to this right now, they're going to. We're all
1: going to Jacob's house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The
3: perfect little boy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Is is there a relationship back between like pain and uh, I'm thinking, you know, weight gain and 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 I know that you know when you have pain, you yeah. don't want to move too much. So you know, but do you and and does does it keep? I guess lack of sleep probably doesn't help either. we we've only got yeah. three minutes left in the show, so. Maybe if you can tell us quickly.
2: No question. So... It, our weight, greater weight is associated with more pain and there's a couple of different reasons for why that's the case so if we if we weigh more it just puts more stress on different areas of our body, so think about back pain, if we carry a lot of weight in our middle, that's going to put stress on the back um, but also the foods we eat can have an impact on our pain, so foods that are associated with inflammation like sugar and sweet um, those you know, we know that inflammation is associated with greater pain intensity. So there are several books on the market that are, you know, focusing on the anti inflammatory diet as a pathway right. to improve pain, Uh, but no question, sleep also, you bring up a great point that when we don't sleep well, we have more pain the next day, we're more sensitive to everything, to light, to sounds, um, and absolutely to pain, so poor sleep causes something of a systemic inflammatory response that makes us more sensitive to pain, and this is problematic because if you talk to anybody with chronic pain, they'll say, yeah, I sleep really poorly because of my pain. So it can become a vicious cycle, and it's really important to treat it. Thank you.
1: Let me stop you there. I do want to thank both of you. Jacob, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And Dr. Beth, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. You've both been amazing guests. And what you both do is really so important in the world. You're both changing the world in your own ways. And, you know, that's what I'm all about. I want to make sure people change the world <laughs> and they do whatever they can do. So that's that's amazing. And and I know, Fred, you thank them as well for coming on. And Absolutely. Thank uh, you yeah. very much, guys. We learned a lot, and you know, go out and find a, a grandparent today and help them. <laughs> yeah,
4: please,
1: <laughs> You'll be a senior one day yourself, so <laughs> make sure well, you treat people.
4: You
2: Fred, thank you both, and, uh, and you.
4: also
2: Jacob, I learned a lot from you today. Thanks again. Thank you. Likewise.
1: All right. Awesome. Well, we'll we'll be back here next week, Fred and I, and we'll we'll have. Uh, a wonderful singer, Cerise is coming back. You met her a, c- a couple of weeks ago because her son was autistic, but she's actually an amazing singer. So she's going to be coming back with us, and um, we have we're going around America. We're taking a trip around the states <laughs> with one of our authors. So don't go anywhere. Come back and see us next week. We'll be here. Take care, everybody. Wherever you are in the world, take your night.
3: All right. Love
4: bye you. bye. Bye everyone. Thank mm-hmm.